spread the fire welcome back to smwx and today i'm joined by tasneem isop who's a brilliant political analyst and is also a researcher at the society work and politics institute advits i always enjoy her political analysis and you know i bring you the freshest insights here on smwx <laughs> So, Tasneem, thanks so much for joining us on this episode. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. Finally, we got it together, so that's good. Yeah, I've been trying to get you on SMWX for about three years, so here we go. <laughs> um, so, Tasneem, I think the big thing that's coming up this week is President Cyril Ramaphosa will be testifying at the State Capture Commission in his capacity as ANC president, the week or a few weeks after he's testifying as president of the country. But I'm quite interested to know what you're expecting from this and what kind of things you're hoping the question, uh, what kind of questions you're hoping that the president answers. Yeah, so I mean, despite my misgivings about the commission um, and commissions in South Africa in general, which is perhaps a, a conversation for another day, um, I will comment a little bit on this. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, when I was thinking about this question, I thought about how I've been avoiding uh, talking about the Zondo Commission in state mm -hmm. capture um, for some time. Um, and really my difficulty with um, thinking about the commission. Um, and this comes down to, for me, you know, what accountability looks like, what justice looks like, um, and what the value is in laying all of this out in public, um, for us to have public conversations about it, really. Um, but mm. yeah, still keeping in mind, you know, accountability and justice. So I'm really, I'm really concerned about those things, but also, you know, whether um, talking about corruption at this national level uh, kind of distracts us from also looking at corruption at local levels, which I think is really important for us to um, to continue pressing on having conversations about and of course communities are constantly raising this this problem of local local level corruption but anyways those are my like general things about the commission and my, my difficulty really with talking about um, about the commission despite how important it is and I, I will affirm that it is an important uh, process that we're going through as a country with this commission so I mean Ramaphosa will be testifying in two capacities, um, but I'll just speak to like both of them um, because I think they they really are linked, right? Yeah. Sure. Um, so we need to reassert in this moment uh, something that's really obvious, which is that Ramaphosa was the deputy president uh, in the Zuma administration, was deputy president of the ANC for for many years, um, while Zuma was president. Um, and this is important to reassert because going into the NASREC conference and coming out of that conference with all of the kind of political changes that have happened, Ramaphosa emerges as this anti-corruption person um, and, and really constructs this, uh, this story behind it, right? So it's linked to the New Dawn and to Mamina and all of that, but he really does stand in in that period going to NASREC as this anti-corruption um, person, but he was deputizing for so long while all of this was going on, right? So we've heard President Ramaphosa say many times how he's been shocked um, at, at this state of affairs, at corruption and, and, and a number of other things. Um, and shocked really in a period where he was a senior leader in government and a senior leader in the ANC. And for me, this is just frankly nonsense, right? So I think what this testimony gives us is a, an <laughs> 
for a bit of accountability um, for his role during those years, right? Um, this idea of being shocked, I, I hope, will not fly uh, when it comes down to uh, uh, testifying at the commission. Um, and the way in which he's distanced himself from the Zuma years, um, you know, is, will hopefully be uncovered a little bit. But that's also something for us to reflect on um, as, as people who think about, comment on, and involved in uh, politics and just in, in general, um, how we've let this story fly, right? Mm. This distance, totally. fly, this shock idea fly and and really that's a reflection on on us and uh and the media and what whatever else um you know just in general the south african public needs to reflect on this how we've constructed ramaphosa's rise to power right um so i think it's it's mm. it's well um it's been repeated many times well critiqued and it's worthy of re repeating again um that as ramaphosa goes into this um moment of test testifying at the State Capture Commission that we really need to remind ourselves to disabuse ourselves of this messiah villains uh, story. Because um, mm. that's gonna allow mm. us to accurately reflect on his, um, on what he says uh, during this period, um, but also how we understand that. So, I mean, I think given all of that, a lot of his testimony should focus on uh, his role in those years in the ANC and in government, right? And I expect that the hard questions should be around this and he shouldn't get away with, with, with how we've allowed this period to be constructed. And then other questions I think will come up around his relationship with the Gupta family, um, what was happening in state-owned enterprises. And then I expect a lot to be around um, internal uh, politics in the ANC and policies of the ANC um, and then the relationship between the ANC and private entities and then I think this has bigger ramifications for uh, President Ramaphosa in terms of uh, you know the, the contestations around what happened leading into the Nasrec conference and mm -hmm. uh, financing of conferences and so on. Um, so but the last thing I want to say about this is that I think we should bear in mind that uh, you know, given the kind of critique of commissions that we can put forward is that commissions can be used as a political um, tool. Uh, we've seen others use commissions as a political tool and, and there might be an attempt here to use this, uh, this, uh, this position in the, in the commission or going to the commission to speak to bolster, you know, one's political position. And I don't think, uh, you know, Ramaphosa will necessarily not do that. So I think let's just keep in mind the politics of the commission um, and and how, you know, uh, someone like a president could position themselves um, to come out better or worse out of a testimony that could be quite rough or should be quite rough for him. Mm. That's really interesting. I, um, yeah, so much of what you say, I think we need to be very, just very careful as we go into this. I, I can already see the Ramaphosa defense force is like out in full on the media everywhere, just like already defending him before he's even testified. Um, and so I think there's going to be a big push to kind of consolidate this this narrative that, you know, Ramaphosa represents all that's good and pure in the ANC and, um, you know, setting up this dichotomy where you have to choose the lesser of two evils. But on the other hand, you also don't want to yourself fall into like a factional pattern where 
you criticize Ramaphosa and then people use that and use your voice to now try and defend Zuma and, and Mahashule. So it's kind of hard to, uh, in this moment where, where, where things are so, so loud and so noisy and so polarized, it's kind of hard to find a space in the country where, where people like, like sanity prevails and people are like, what if we just criticize the president on the basis of like objective standards for ethical behavior in public office? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, even at NASRAC, um, which was sort of my first, well, not my first, but uh, first big like political commentary thing, I've, I felt that kind of pressure, right? It's like, how do you toe this mm. line between um, being critical? And I mean, I was very critical of, of, of Ramaphosa going into that. Um, and I guess it's one of the few times in my life I can call a bit of consistency in terms of like just criticism of, um, you know, this, well, Ramaphosa going into to NASRAC, but also this whole new dawn um, stuff. But I mean, the point is that it's very, very difficult for us to toe that line, but we have to be, we have to have moral integrity and honesty about, uh, about our politics, right? Um, and I think if we do that, uh, we can stay above this like, kind of factional um, stuff because I mean, it, it becomes obvious that you're going to criticize um, a lot of different uh, factions and parts of this but of course it is used um, and it's used and manipulated and the way we we critique Ramaphosa is is ammunition um, to to other factions um, but I, I really think we need to we need to question this uh, like better of two devils um, thing mm, right please um, and it's it, yeah as you say it's very difficult uh, because we are put in a situation where it feels like you're between a rock and a hard place right but my thing is that you 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 can what you can do is through your criticism put pressure on what we have now which is a ramaphosa led uh, anc mm. and a ramaphosa led government to do better um, and that is that is where you know my sort of criticism is aimed right it's not at like this getting involved in this factional uh, uh, stuff, but it is about saying that these are the problems with this with this administration, right? And we can talk about a lot. I mean, there's austerity, there's mm. corruption, there's all sorts of things. And what we're you know what we're saying is that there is an opportunity um, to do better, to do different, um, and to reinvent, right? Uh, and I think that's that's important that it's not criticism for the sake of pulling down one faction here. Mm. Um, and, and that we can assert that, yes, in some ways, things have been positive for the ANC or positive for the country, um, but we have all of these other criticisms and problems, uh, and, and perhaps that's something for us to hold on to, um, bearing in mind our need to, to have honesty and, and to speak uh, clearly about, about South African politics. Mm. Well, that kind of takes us into a conversation that's become a theme on this channel, almost organically, um, which is about what are the alternatives to the status quo as, as, as we find it, particularly for our generation. Um, and the thing for me, I don't know, I just want to float this, float this by you to, to start this conversation, but you know, just feel free to, to, to say whatever you feel about this question of what do we do, right? Um, and, and what does something different really look like? 
So I think a common assumption is that this perfect alternative is going to emerge while the ANC is still dominant. And, and so people's assumption is that the timeline is a perfect alternative emerges and then the ANC falls, basically. But I'm increasingly starting to think that, like, you need the conditions for an alternative to actually emerge. And part of those, one of those conditions is an opportunity to actually, you know, govern or feel like you might be able to, to gain power. So I'm starting to wonder whether you first need the ANC to actually fall before an alternative can actually present itself. Um, and that's for me why it's so important to keep the criticism up because I think a lot of people are like, if we criticize, then the ANC falls and then what comes in its place? And of course the danger is that, you know, something equally bad comes in its place. But the opportunity is when the ANC falls, suddenly a gap opens and alternatives can actually potentially materialize. So um, yeah, that's just one assumption that I think does need to be challenged in this whole question of, of where alternatives come from. Sure. So I'm not sure about this. Um, I think there are there is the potential that we find ourselves in a very dangerous situation, um, and that there is a, a pressing need to organize, to mobilize, and to begin to establish. Um, political alternatives, uh, and I'll I'll get into this um, mm. because mm. if the moment does come, and it's a big if, because I am a strong believer looking at the ANC's history in its ability to constantly reinvent itself over mm. time, mm. Um, and I think the ANC has done this in the darkest periods of its history. <clears throat> um, but of course, now we're in a we're in a different situation. I mean, the NC is a governing party, no longer liberation movement, and so on. But I, I think if you if you take seriously like the history of the ANC, um, you have to agree with that idea that it is able to reinvent itself or or not reinvent itself. It, it doesn't emerge as something new, but to um, re-energize itself, um, to to place itself at the center of South African politics again and again and again. So, I mean, this is yeah. a big right. If the ANC falls. We do. I do think we will need um, different forms, whatever form that takes. But the alternatives will need to be there, or the alternative thinking will need to be there at, at mm. very minimum. Mm. Right? Mm. Um, but I don't want to take away from the fact that organizing, mobilizing, organization is important, right? Um, so, so, so yeah. Let, let's hang on to that a little bit. And I mean, the worry here for me is if we look at political alternatives broadly. Um, the, the rise of the right um, internationally, um, but also the rise of the right in South Africa and the, the new right in South Africa um, mm. is important for us to keep an eye on, right? Um, we don't want a situation where the ANC falls if, if that happens um, and a type of politics that we really don't want comes to replace that, right? And I think in the world that we are in at the moment where we lack so much credible political options, alternatives, thinking um, at, a, at a mass scale, that becomes a concern for me, right? And that's that's why I go back to the need for, um, for us to engage in actual politics, right? Um, and then, I mean, there's a whole lot of questions for me, like when I think about uh, 
political alternatives. It's something that we talk about a lot now, right? Mm. And I want us to bear in mind the various levels at which we talk about um, political alternatives. There's alternatives at the level of the state, there's alternatives at the level of government, and then there's alternatives outside of the state um, or away from, 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 from the state, right? And the reason I mention this is because I don't want us to just think about political alternatives in the political party format um, or as electoral choices, um, but I want us to think about alternative forms of politics um, and al alternative, basically alternative politics that doesn't just have to be in the form of um, a political party necessarily, right? Not that that isn't a, a good idea, but it doesn't have to be. And we should yeah. think about these yeah. various levels at which politics happens, right? Um, so, I mean, the reason I also say this is because if you look at South African electoral politics at a glance, we have many parties that contest, parties at various ends of the political spectrum. We have options on many sides, right? But these are not winning options. And when I say winning options, I don't even mean options that are going to govern. I mean, just options that are able to get a share of the vote um, mm. that is, you know, that becomes a credible electoral alternative. Um, so I think we need to question why those aren't winning options. Uh, and I mean, we can do a deep dive on many of these sort of political parties. Um, but I think it does open us up to a conversation about broader politics and, and, and um, uh, yeah, forms of politics, uh, let me put so, it this so, way, not just going into parties, yeah. Yeah, I mean, let, let's, look at, let's look at those. Um, I mean, well, the, the first thing I'm interested in is, is your distinction between political alternatives and alternative political visions, which you know, which may be linked, but it does feel like we, we actually haven't yet done the work of, of, of really rethinking what this country uh, could be. Um, it, it feels like everything's operating in a very narrow uh, band of consensus. And the, the hard work of, of, of really like actually painting a future that is uh, feasible and practical uh, hasn't hasn't actually yet been done. I don't think. Yeah, look, it it hasn't, and I think that's exactly it. Is that it's it's hard work, right? Um, and it's the hard work of uh, reimagining uh, politics, right? Um, it's about reimagining our political imagination, um, and I think for so long uh, this has been dominated by. The ANC, and it's been dominated by a particular history of needing to break out of, uh, of, of apartheid, and I think that has really set up for the last uh, for the period of democracy what our political imagination looks like. Um, so for me, that hard work of alternative visions of alternative politics comes from from that, right? Um, so the ANC kind of looms over looms over us, right? Um, it's, a, it's a sort of mammoth thing. And I think if we want to start talking about practical political alternatives or alternatives at the level of imagination, we have to understand that there's a distinction here between the ANC, the organization that we currently see, um, and the ANC, the idea of the ANC. Um, the idea of the ANC is, is more important for me. That's about like history, tradition, myth-making, you know, all of this rhetoric. Um, that comes when we when we think as a country about um, about the
the history of that organization and, and the role that the hegemonic role that it's come to play, right? Um, so, I mean, I don't wanna dwell too much on, on history, but that tradition comes to dominate our political imagination. So mm. we, we do need to um, think about it and <clears throat> perhaps dispense with it. So we're in a situation now where people are disgruntled with the ANC, the current organization, but I'm not convinced that there's a, a, um, yet a shift enough away from the idea of the ANC. Mm. I mean, we see mm. this in electoral seasons, right? Um, that people would rather sit at home than not vote for the ANC, would rather not vote um, than, than not vote for the ANC. And I, I do believe that many of the reasons for not voting are, are political reasons. And I think that is, is one mm. of them, right? Um, and it's not, like I think there's this kind of idea that uh, you know people are are silly to do this, or or you know it's uh, it's a lack of political maturity or whatever is said out there in the media when mm. this kind of thing gets raised. But I think we do need to take it seriously, um, and I think we need to question that that idea and the centrality that it holds in our political culture um, and in our politics. So I mean I think. Yeah, it, we always come back to that, right? The the, the role of the ANC um, and how we look beyond it, how we look for political alternatives um, and what those alternatives would look like. Uh, and this is something that I, of course, don't have a, an answer on. And I think it is really hard work. Um, this is going to be really hard work. Mm. Mm. Yeah, the, the, the hard thing as well is that even if, even if South African politics is reconfigured, both at the level of political imagination, but also formal politics and, and even outside of formal politics. It's not like the forces that currently make up what we call the ANC are going, going anywhere. They may themselves be reconfigured and form part of new configurations. So the, the one hard question I suppose is to what extent does one accommodate and embrace, you know, people who have formed part of the problem in the first place? And to what extent does one, you know, just try to discard the entire thing um, for, for what it's done to us, basically? Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, that's interesting also because the ANC births many um, political alternatives, right? Um, mm. I mean, the EFF is one of these, comes out of the ANC. It's a, it's a child of Congress um, in many ways. And so, and I mean, we've taken the, the EFF seriously, or, or many of us have, I have uh, taken the, the EFF seriously um, to really try and understand what role it, it plays. Um, and I look, I think we're going to have to do that more. I, there's many who yeah. anticipate more breakaways from the ANC and so on. Um, and that is something we have to we have to question. But for me, it's yeah, it is a problem when we take uh, when we have new uh, new new things, new organizations, new new political parties that emerge, but they keep the forms of politics that come from from the NC. Mm. Um, and I think that's you know maybe it's not just throw the baby out with the bathwater, but let's just think about that. You know. Yeah. I I, I'm scared to touch on the EFF because of because of all that it represents. But well, you've you've gone there, so. <laughs> but but 
You know what? I think what you say is, is quite important because I think that on the progressive side of the spectrum, there's still been a tendency to just dismiss the EFF and uh, oversimplify the EFF and not take it seriously, as you say. And while the EFF probably doesn't represent the perfect alternative, uh, certainly to a lot of voters, I'm not so sure that we can just, you know, get by with saying, well, this is just a, you know, uh, a disaster and, and, and all of that. Like, I think there's, there is something in the EFF that needs to be taken a lot more seriously than, um, than it has been, even by people who you would expect to take it seriously. Yeah, I mean, look, this is one of the things that uh, sort of irritated me early on with um, with the with the analysis of the EFF, right? Um, is this really simplistic sort of dismissal um, uh, of the EFF? And it is, yeah. So I mean, there were all of these ideas. Oh, the EFF is fascist. It's populist. It's uh, you know, it's racial populism and. Um, and I feel a lot of progressives sort of just dismissed dismissed it, as you're saying, right? Um, but what for me is important is why the EFF managed to gain a foothold in South African politics, right? And what they represented. And certainly from, from their public position, they represented a new left, um, to the le a new left alternative to the left of the NC, that is. Um, and I think that that obviously had appeal, right? Um, they were dealing with social issues, racism, economic issues, a different way of organizing the economy, a different way of organizing society, right? That's what the EFF initially was speaking to, right? And the fact that that managed to gain some ground is important for us not to dismiss. It was important for me not to dismiss from the get-go, um, but also the way it organizes its politics, the way it... Um, uh, the way it practically does politics uh, and the way we look at its politics, its style of doing politics and its mechanisms of doing politics, right? So there are a lot of things to consider in terms of how the EFF becomes a really important political voice in South Africa, right? For a party that in the beginning got, what, six point something percent uh, and is now like around 10%, the kind of position that they have in terms of uh, talking about South African politics is really, really important, right? So I don't want to dismiss that. And I do want us to take seriously what makes it important. But at the same time, since they've been established, there's been a whole lot of things that have, um, that have really uh, bolstered the criticisms against the EFF. And I think a lot of these have become uh, really genuine uh, concerns and, and criticisms uh, of the EFF. I mean, I think one of your, one of the guests you have frequently, um, Koko Machike, on the show speaks about uh, a suspicion um, with the EFF. Sorry if I'm not uh, par uh, paraphrasing correctly, um, but just around whether the EFF is telling the truth. And I think that was the con that was a concern, a knee-jerk concern for a lot of people um, when the EFF uh, started. And then there was a defense of that, right? But let's look at their policies. Let's look at their positions. Let's look at what they're advocating for. And those were really uh, a lot of them were really genuine and and and. For a lot of people, they were meaningful, right? Um, they were presenting a meaningful critique of South African society, and they still do. Um, but there has been, you know, a whole lot of uh, stuff that's come out um, that has allowed for this 
furthering of uh, criticism that is far beyond, I think, this like uh, really simplistic dismissal that we talk about. So we must also consider those those critiques, um, but also what the what the EFF represents. And I, I've always struggled with this. Um, you know, does the EFF represent a truly genuine left alternative? Um, is it sort of straddling a line and really is going to give us a right or center outcome? And I, I guess for a lot of this, we have to see, right? Um, and yeah, yeah, exactly. But the EFF doesn't govern. Um, Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, let, again, it's it's criticism that is that that we can do and that is valid and that we should do. Um, but let's also take what it what it means for us um, seriously. No, definitely, and I, I think that's just overall a good thing for for this conversation about alternatives, because because just like the ANC, the EFF is not going anywhere. You know, um, it may evolve, morph, but that 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 political group and that political block is is looks like it's here to stay for for quite some time um, and for me the thing is that the definitive statements and the simplifications actually are just intellectually uninteresting like there's there's so much interesting happening in in that formation so much ambiguity like you say and instead of exploring that ambiguity people people are just too quick to to draw these, you know, massive deductions and and groundless conclusions, in my view. But um, yeah, that that that's that's quite a refreshing thing to hear. Uh, I have to say. Um, I mean, you also spoke earlier about looking for perfect uh, solutions or perfect alternatives, and I think the EFF is an ideal example of how alternatives aren't perfect. And they are, mm, yeah, mm. there's there's so much nuance um, in when we discuss the EFF, you know. So let's come back to this final question that we wanted to cover, which is about the local government elections. So President Ramaphosa announced the date, the 27th of October. I must say, I have some, uh, some serious misgivings just about this election. Um, I'm looking at India, for example, where this massive COVID wave has coincided with an election and all the incentives for public gatherings. I'm seeing parties hosting events. I'm, I'm just dreading like mass rallies, um, which could happen. Um, and I don't know if we've thought through what could happen if we have a wave that coincides with an election. Um, so yeah, I'm just putting that out there and then we'll see where this conversation goes. Yeah, I mean, this is, it's just uncertain, right? It's just a lot of uncertainty, which I think we've been sitting with since the sort of start of this pandemic um, is like, yeah, can we really plan for October? Um, do we know what's what's going to happen? And now we have a date that we have mm-hmm. to work towards, but there's obviously concerns about waves of COVID, different variants of COVID. And I mean, of course, our vaccination rollout is slow. Um, we might've wanted to be in a different position come October. Um, to have these elections, but uh, but we aren't right, um, and we aren't going to be. So I mean, I have a I have a lot of a lot of questions about how this election is going to happen. I mean, probably similar to yours. I mean, the first step is that the IEC is going to have to tell us how elections are going to be run. Um, what what are the protocols that are going to be put in place? I mean, look, there have been countries that have had elections um, during the pandemic, and there are different sort of experiments with how you do that. I'm not sure South Africa is in a position to um, 
to really make big shifts in terms of our voting process. Um, and, and that's not going to happen. So we will have to see from the IEC, you know, what what are the protocols? And I look forward to sort of hearing that. Um, and then, of course, there's this thing of like generally declining voter turnout. Uh, and I mean, I said earlier that I think low voter turnout is a political issue, uh, primarily. It's a political choice um, where many say it's an administrative uh, sort of other issues come into it, into not voting. And yes, I mean, those are there, but do think it's primarily um, a political issue. But of course, this year, you know, I might have to step back from that position a little bit because we do have the pandemic and like, will people go out to vote and so on? Um, and I'm, I'm also concerned about the level of responsibility that political parties take on, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. The traditional methods of campaigning in South Africa are physical, they're face-to-face, they're upfront um, and very exciting. But I mean, of course, like this is a different a different year, right? Mm. I mean, I'm thinking about door-to-door campaigns and politicians crisscrossing the country and party volunteers crisscrossing the country. I'm thinking about Sianova rallies and EFF mm. rallies and these large sort of public gatherings. And a lot of that, I guess, won't be allowed to happen, right? Which then has implications um, on the politics of the elections. Um, yeah. and on on how voting will unfold and where people will cast their votes. I mean, I think there's a lot to just think about. And then, of course, parties like the DA have for a number of years experimented with different forms of campaigning because they haven't done those, uh, what I called traditional methods of campaigning. So, I mean, there's a lot of jokes every election about being harassed by the DA on your phone. Um, and so, but I mean, those haven't necessarily, those have had mixed results, right, for, for parties that have chosen to go into those tele, telemarketing and online social media communication and stuff like that. So mm. I think there's a lot to think about in terms of how parties reach voters and how they change the minds of, of voters, because that is ultimately what a lot of parties are trying to do before elections. Um, you know, then there's a whole lot of political um, questions around the elections, which I guess we can we can get into, but I think at the, you know, I just come back to this uncertainty, and I think we will have to see how it goes. Right, the IEC yeah. will have to put in place its protocols. The parties will have to commit to responsible campaigning in a pandemic, mm-hmm. and then you know we have to see. But I do suspect that as we get closer to elections and as elections heat up, that this, and probably for worse, um, you know, this question of the pandemic is going to go on to the, into the background a little bit, right? Yeah. Um, because they are high stakes. What are some of the political questions that, that you alluded to that you think we should bear in mind? Well, I mean, I just, it's just a general, like, sort of um, local government elections overview, thinking about that, right? So, I mean, there's been by-elections, um, and mm. I think, you know, many people have been looking to the by-elections as a sort of precursor to the local government elections because they're happening so close. We had the, what do they call it, Super Wednesday um, by-elections that happened at the end of last year also. I don't want to read too much into that, right? Um, I mean, it looks like the ANC has actually fared pretty well um, in those by-elections. But, you know, as I said, I don't think we should read too much too much into it. Um, by-elections have a very different spin on it. And the sort of national issues are toned down during uh, sessions of by-elections. Whereas uh, when it comes to an actual local government election, everyone goes out to vote, that's just turned right up, right? 
Um, and if you look at 2016, I think a lot of people said, you know, this 2016 election in especially the metropolitan areas was a referendum on the Jacob Zuma presidency, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering what, what's going to nationally characterize um, this election or what's going to like predominate the conversation this election. Mm -hmm. And then of mm -hmm. course, like mm -hmm. in those metropolitan areas, there's just so much to, to think about, right? 2016 seemed like a watershed moment um, in electoral politics. Yeah. Um, but, you know, a lot of those coalitions have imploded um, and I, I wonder how voters are going to react to that. Um, I mean, the ANC is back in power in a lot of those um, those municipalities, and there's been just a whole lot of you know things that have happened since 2016 um, around these coalitions. And I think there will be questions for voters around how coalitions work and how they become stable and how they function. Um, and this will go into uh, you know those bigger national national questions. Um, so there's a lot to watch very keenly in terms of the metropolitan areas and, and, and those coalitions um, and where the parties really stand at the moment, right? Um, so, I mean, what happened in 2016, I wonder if it's going to happen again because the DA was the mm. biggest, uh, uh, had the most benefit coming out of 2016. Um, but really, they, they seem to have given up on uh, national ambitions or ambitions to govern. Um, they really do seem to be serving their narrow, a narrow political agenda. Um, and so, uh, you know, those voters, those swing voters that really uh, changed the game in 2016, I wonder if, if there will be an appetite um, to, to vote for the DA, uh, for example. And if not, then yeah. who, who becomes, who benefits from that, right? Um, so there's just, there's just a lot to, to sort of unpack in terms of you know, where we're going to stand after the 27th. And of course, where our COVID numbers will stand, I guess, as part of that. What I'm worried about is, is I, I think that the new dawn onslaught um, has basically bought the ANC an extra life. Um, and I feel like it was, it was on the precipice of actually falling, like in 2016 and it, and in the build-up to Nazrek. Um, and then suddenly, almost out of nowhere, it, it has rescued, rescued itself. Um, and undeservedly, in my view, but, but Ramaphosa, along with the way he's been framed, has, has, has put reasonable doubt in people's minds about whether the ANC might might actually recover, which I think is um, totally implausible, but it seems to have stuck. So for me, what, what I worry about with the DAs, with the DAs, the DAs just DAing, and, and this, this new dawn hope is that the ANC is going to buy itself undeserved time. Um, Certainly, in in places where it might it might have lost. I don't know if that's going to happen in the actual areas like Joburg, Tswane. Uh, I think Etegwini is going to be really interesting. I, I actually think it could lose power in Etegwini, but I don't think it's going to lose as much power as it deserves to lose, basically, because of because of the weirdness of the last few years. So uh, just Etikini, I think, is going to be very, very interesting um, and just one for everyone to keep an eye on. Mm. Mm. 
You are completely right. Um, it's definitely undeserved. And when we look at a local government election, it's, the, I mean, that is just, it's completely obvious, right? Yeah. Um, what has happened at local government level um, that people should vote the same party into power again? Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think we often get caught up in the national conversation and we don't focus on those local sort of issues. Um, but as I said earlier, there is going to be a point at which the national mood comes to dominate um, this local government election. And that is that is a problem. Uh, and I think we should uh, press on um, on local issues and on what's happening in certain you know, key local areas, but really across the country um, to really understand you know, what, what that relationship is between the, the, the record of governance uh, and voting for the party. So I think that's, uh, yeah, that's, it is undeserved as you're saying, just want to agree with that. Um, I mean, I think the, so there was this whole idea in, in the last uh, national election that uh, Ramaphosa sort of saved the ANC from, um, from, from failure in elections. And this even came from within the, from within the party, I think, um, I remember, I think it was, and I'll be corrected if I'm wrong, I think it was Fili Mbalula who, who, you know, made this claim that, uh, you know, Ramaphosa basically saved the ANC from, from defeat. And I was very wary of this, right? Um, and, and it sounds repetitive, but I go back to this idea of the ANC, right? Uh, yeah. And I wonder mm -hmm. if one man uh, can save the image of the ANC, the idea of the ANC, uh, or embody that even. Um, so I'm a bit skeptical about, about that. And I also wondered to whom we're speaking to when we talk about the importance of the new dawn, right? Um, and that's, it's important that we don't just uh, sort of speak to ourselves um, yeah. or that, you know, the, the chattering classes come to dominate a conversation about uh, how important that new dawn is. So I'm critical of the idea that Ramaphosa um, has saved the ANC from certain defeat. Uh, and I think there are just so many reasons for this, right? Um, but I will, I, will give, I will give this uh, and I will concede that certainly this, this idea um, of renewal um, has become important, right? Um, so I maybe don't think it's the most important thing, um, but I do think it's, it's maybe extended a bit um, the, the potential for the ANC to renew itself. Um, and as I said earlier, you know, I'm not, I'm not one to cast off the, the ANC quickly. Um, and, I, I, and, and I hold on to that. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's a bit, it's a bit of, it's a bit of both here. Um, so yeah, there is a bit of extension there, uh, but I think we must look beyond that to what, you know, why really people still vote for the ANC and I'm not sure Ramaphosa is really the key to that. Um, and, and, you know, we need to speak to, to people, to voters, um, more, more regularly. Well, Tasneem, thank you for joining us on SMWX for your first appearance, but uh, comment down below if you think it, it shouldn't be her last. And also tweet, tweet Tasneem. We're gonna put her, her Twitter handle. So yeah, just ask her to come back because I found that's the best way to get people back. Just the Twitter, the Twitter following just, uh, just does the trick. Uh, but Tasneem, thanks so much for joining us. It was great to chat to you.
Yeah, thanks. Thanks a lot. It was really interesting conversation and set of questions to think about. So yeah, hopefully we'll be back. Hi, yeah, yeah. Thank you.